Carl and I planned to go in the spring of 24 uh, to the Holy Land. And I just I keep thinking about that, and I think I'm on, the, I'm, I'm on the verge of being the most annoying pastor there is. I have a grandbaby and a trip to the Holy Land on the way, and, and you're just going to, like, stay away from him. And you're just like, you know, um, I, I, I'm exercising early discipline, all right? I have no pictures this morning for the big screen, but if you will see me after the service. I have 457 photos I'd like to show you uh, before you leave uh, today. Our uh, granddaughter born to our oldest son Graham and Carly. Uh, they were married eight years on March the 6th and they gave uh, birth. Carly gave birth to our first grandchild on March the 6th. And um, I kept thinking, man, when we had the talk, we must have had a good talk with them. I mean, eight years, good grief. But, um, you all right? All right, listen, um, hey, we're excited. And um, Kennedy Ray is uh, her name. And uh, Steve and Teresa Simmons are also part of our church. And that's Carly's parents. And so... Steve and I are um, two excited guys for sure, and Carla and Teresa, of course, as well. And uh, they're doing good. And um, I am officially Papa Los. All right. So if you're uh, wondering about the name, that's Papa Los. Right, so if you're headed to Myrtle Beach and you see the airbrush artist, just pick me up a T-shirt <laughs> and uh, just put Papa Los right there on the. I want to speak to you for a few minutes today about the sovereignty of King Jesus. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew and the effort here is to get to know Jesus. And what you see throughout this particular Gospel of Matthew is that he again and again comes back to the evidence in the teaching of Jesus that Jesus is the king and that there is a kingdom and King Jesus rules and reigns over that kingdom and as you trace through scripture what we see is, is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior we become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of heaven has no racial barriers. This kingdom of heaven has no material barriers. This, uh, this kingdom of heaven has no ethnicity barriers, no class barriers, no educational barriers. The only barrier to the kingdom of heaven is our sin and the way that we get into the kingdom of heaven is believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all of our sin of the past present and future and when we trust him and believe in him by God's grace through our faith we are saved hallelujah 
And when we are tracing through Matthew, we are learning the attributes of the king of this kingdom, the one who has authority, the one who has power. And today I want you to see that um, Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is sovereign. He rules and he reigns and he exercises according to his good will, his authority in all of life and history and future. The sovereignty of King Jesus. If I could offer to you today peace of mind, understanding of life, humility in your attitude, and a trusting soul, would you take it? Well, the good news is I am offering to you today peace of mind, humility and attitude, the opportunity to have a trusting soul and understanding in your life. A.W. Tozer says that the sovereignty of King Jesus is the attribute that describes the exercise of his power over creation. The sovereignty of King Jesus, when we speak of that attribute, describes his rule and his reign. The application of this eternal truth in our everyday life produces peace and understanding and humility and trust. I want to say that again. The application of this eternal truth of the sovereignty of King Jesus in our everyday life produces peace and humility and understanding and trust. Now, before getting to the sovereignty of King Jesus, I want us all to be reminded of what we've already learned about King Jesus, and that is specifically of his authority. Maybe you've discovered already that the days of March match the days of February. Uh, today is March the 12th, on February the 12th. We were here on a Sunday a month ago speaking, getting to know King Jesus, and when we started through this study of Matthew, we saw the authority of King Jesus. We see it demonstrated in his miracles. And page after page, te in between teachings of Jesus, in between the narrative of what was going on in the life of Jesus, you see him performing miracles, you see him healing people, you see him calming the sea. You see him multiplying food and feeding the thousands. You see him bringing people back to life. And you see his authority, all authority, his power being demonstrated in his miracles. We know that authority to be the word um, omniscient. He is all-powerful, and the different kinds of miracles that he 
does, whether in nature, over physical, or over death and the grave, we see him to be all-powerful, um, I'm sorry, omnipotent. Secondly, we see his authority in how he gives it to the apostles. It's one thing to possess authority, but he has so much authority that we saw that he was able to give that authority to others. When we finish up the book of Matthew, you'll see in that last chapter him saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And he gives to his disciples that authority to go and make disciples. And then we see this authority applied to the mission. When we go, Acts 1.8, he says, he told the the apostles, he says, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it is is showing to us that as followers of Jesus Christ, the one who has all power, gives to us power through the work of the Holy Spirit to make disciples, to share the gospel, to share the good news, to be courageous in the way we live for Christ. Now when you look in Matthew chapter 16 this morning, we're going to bring with us that authority of Jesus Christ and you begin to see on these pages uh, his, his knowledge playing out. And just like he is all-powerful uh, on these pages up to this point, you will see, you'll see that he's also all-knowing. We see the foreknowledge of Christ. We see the knowledge of Christ and how he knew of the past, he knew of the present, and he was very aware of the future and what was ahead for him in his life here on this earth and in his kingdom to come. Look in Matthew chapter 16. And our scope this morning is broad. We're going to, uh, we're going to kind of dip into chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, and in chapter 20. And some verses in each of these passages, as I've read this week from 16 to 20, just again and again, there's this theme of the knowledge of Christ, his knowledge, page after page, event after event. In fact, six times... From chapter 16 to chapter 20, you see Jesus speaking of the future with absolute knowledge and clarity about what was ahead. And this is a a helpful exercise to me. I don't know if you do this, but in these six times I've written beside that passage of Scripture just these two simple words. He knew. He knew. And the, and the hope is, is that when we finish this morning and we walk into the week that's ahead and we begin to experience the events of the days of our lives that echoing in our mind and heart over and over again will be this truth. He knows. He knows. And just like we see on these pages that he knew what the future would hold. He knows today what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in our church's life. He knows what's going on in my life. He knows. He has absolute knowledge. And he is sovereign over all that is happening in our life. And that's where the peace and the trust and the understanding and the humility comes. It's when it 
we hold our life up next to that sovereignty of Christ. Look with me as we begin here. Now, when you come to Matthew chapter 16, uh, there's, you really are guessing how far in advance we are from the last week of Jesus' life. When we get to chapter 21 of, of this gospel, we're going to see Jesus start his last week of life on this earth. It's highlighted by the story of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And chapters 21 all the way through chapter 28 encompasses just one week in the life of Jesus. Up into chapter 20, we're, we're covering over almost three years of living. Some people say that uh, the events of chapter 16, chapter 17 happened as close as a month and a half from him going into Jerusalem. It's, it's really, it's, it's hard to put a date on it. But we do see that he has, he has changed in his teaching in Matthew to uh, being very focused on what he wants his disciples to know. And when you get to chapter 16, chapter 17, there's this real focus of trying to get in front of his disciples. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And even though you don't understand it right at this time, there will be a day where this will make sense, where you will understand. And he's pouring into their life what's ahead. And it's helpful for us to see that he, he, he knew as King Jesus what was coming. Now, uh, first example of this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Don't, 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 don't listen too fast on this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Right above that in my Bible, in the margin, I just put, he knew. He knew. He knew days before, weeks before, months before, years before, he knew that his destination was Jerusalem. He knew that he was born to die. He knew that he would be arrested. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he would be flogged. And listen, he knew that he would be raised to life. That's King Jesus. Look with me in chapter 17. You have this supernatural event that we call the transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain and with Peter, James, and John the physical body of King Jesus is transfigured and they see his glory 
and they see him appear with other Old Testament heroes. Look at it. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter. This is chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like sun, like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It's a, it's a high and holy moment, but don't miss also a little bit of humor there. Where Peter's just, it almost seems like nervous energy, where he's just kind of overwhelmed by, let's just build a tent, let's stay, this is good, this is amazing. In verse 5, he was still, he, he was still speaking. He was still, did any of you talk more when you get scared? He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, listen to this phrase, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Just out in the margin, he knew. He knew. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would be buried. He knew there would be a marker in time. He knew there would be an event in history that where Peter and James and John would be alive, it would be after he was raised back to life. He knew. Look in chapter 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed out in the margin. He knew. He knew. If you're ever thinking about the death of Christ or the burial of Christ or the resurrection of Christ and there's some thought in your mind, some temptation that everything went wrong, everything went crazy, this was a surprise, this was a coincidence, this was just, no. We have the evidence page after page after page that Jesus knew exactly who he was and where he was going and what he was doing. Right, look at verse 24, maybe in an odd place to notice this. Verse 24 of chapter 17, it says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, "Just Yes. Suppose any time you're asked about taxes, the good answer is to say yes. I paid them. 
And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, when Simon Peter said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, when so long, I read that passage. I'm just so focused of thinking on there was going to be a coin in a fish's mouth. What a miracle. But you back up a little bit and there's a place there for us to write the words, He knew. And when we write that is when Jesus acknowledges that he knows exactly who he is. And, he's, and this question about earthly tax is being asked. And Jesus said, who pays the tax? The king's son doesn't pay the tax. The intended meaning there is, is that I'm the son of God. And because I'm son of God, who is God over all, because I'm... King of kings and Lord of lords, because I have been sent from the king who owns it all. In reality, I don't pay tax. He knew who he was. And I think of this story again and again growing up in retail. My dad owned a nursery. I worked for my dad. There's no question as the son of the owner there were benefits. And one of the great benefits of being the son of the owner at the nursery was is that I was the keeper of the key to the drink box. And so anytime that someone else that worked there or a customer came to the drink box, they put in their 50 cents and bought a drink anytime I wanted to drink I got the key and opened the box and reached in from the inside what's the difference the son of the owner and here that's what the point is Jesus is making here he knew who he was we read on you work through these chapters we come to chapter 20 verse 17 Chapter 20, verse 17. Remember, he's never gotten to Jerusalem yet for this last week of his life. Chapter 20, verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. I wish I could read this with, with a dramatic. I wish we could lift it off the page and see the drama of this. The, the, the 
foreknowledge of this, the sovereignty of this, as Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem with his face set, the scripture says, like a flint toward Jerusalem. He, he, he is speaking to them, and he begins to tell them, we're going to Jerusalem. The, the Son of Man will be delivered. Delivered over to who? To the chief priests and scribes. You've read the story. You've read John chapter 19. You know the rest of the story. You see that before they ever got there, that Jesus was telling them what the future would be. And the chief priests and the scribes, and they would condemn him to death. Pilate was trying to set him free, and the chief priests and the scribes would, no, no, crucify him. And they stirred up the crowd, crucified him, just as Jesus had said. And then verse 16, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. It'd be then the Roman soldiers that would take Jesus and mock him and flog him and put a crown of thorns on his head, and they would nail him to the cross. And just like Jesus said, on the third day, he would be raised to life. He knew. He knew. And then in verse 29. Verse Verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to, what? Give his life as a ransom for many. He knew. I want to say this about these six times that we're saying he knew. It's one thing to know what would naturally happen in the days ahead. It was a completely different realm for him to know what would supernaturally happen in the days ahead. You see the difference? And Jesus, he was making some people mad. Almost from day one, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would interact with him and they would say, they would leave looking for a way they could kill him, looking for a way they could silence him, looking for a way they could get rid of him. And, and certainly, as you read through these pages, you could hear Jesus say, naturally, I've made so many people mad over the last three years. I'm telling you, when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. Now, he gives a lot more detail than this. He gives a lot more specifics. But there could be some argument that if you make enough people mad in a position of power or authority, you could kind of set it up where you're going to be killed in that city when you get there and you make yourself available. So it's one thing to predict what's going to happen naturally. But again and again and again, what you see Jesus doing is not just predicting what we could even say is natural. Jesus predicts he knows what will happen supernaturally. And on the third day, he will be raised back to life. This is King Jesus operating in his authority and in his knowledge and demonstrating his sovereignty that he was in ex absolute 
self-control. Now, when you take omnipotence and you wed it to omniscience, you get sovereignty. You get sovereignty. A.W. Tozer, in the pursuit of the holy, he wrote these words, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. Were there even one datum of knowledge, however small, unknown to God, his rule would break down at that point. To be Lord over all the creation, he must possess all knowledge. And were God lacking one infinitesimal modicum of power, that lack would end his reign and undo his kingdom. That one stray atom of power would belong to someone else and God would be a limited and God would be a limited ruler and hence not sovereign. He's all-knowing and he's all-powerful and that breeds sovereignty and that's where you and I land today. That's where we worship today. That's why coming in today we lift our hands to the Lord. We give our gifts to the Lord. We offer our worship to the Lord. He's sovereign. He's the king. This application of God's sovereignty is missing in too many of our hearts and lives. And that lack of application of the sovereignty of God in our life creates so much hand-wringing and unrest and anxiety and fretting and worry. And so why is the sovereignty of God so important? Because it's the sovereignty of God that offers to us peace. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Verse 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter was like, no, this is, when, they, when he was getting this news, it, it wasn't clicking in his mind all that Jesus was saying. He wasn't grasping the sovereignty of Christ to tell what would happen in the future. In, in chapter 17, you see that Simon Peter and all the other disciples, they were terrified. Verse, in chapter 17, verse 23, look at that. When Jesus had told his this prediction of his arrest and death and resurrection, verse 23, and, and they will kill him, chapter 17, verse 23, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. When we're not applying the sovereignty of Christ in our life, here's what happens to us. We get distressed. We become terrified. Where, where did this change? Where's there a difference? Can I just offer to you the book of Acts? Chapter 1 and chapter 2. When all of these things that the sovereign king had predicted and prophesied and told came to pass. He was arrested. He did 
die. He was buried. He did rise again on the third day. And you come to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The same Peter who was terrified, the same Peter who said, this will never happen to you, Jesus. The same Simon Peter that was greatly distressed. You come to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1. And let me just read a phrase there. Acts 1 verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. What had happened? All of that that Jesus knew had landed on the heart of Simon Peter and he began to see now with great peace all of this that happened that had us all in distress, Jesus was in charge all along. Jesus was on the throne all along. Jesus was leading and ruling and reigning all along. Scripture had to be fulfilled. And you see Simon Peter from that point on just peaceful about who Jesus was in him and in the world. Now, what does it look like? for us to live with this kind of peace. When I think about that kind of peace, recognizing that Jesus is king, that Jesus is sovereign, that he exercises his power in my life and in your life, some scenes come to my mind. I think about a couple of Sundays ago when I was in Boston and I was worshiping at Kings Hill Church and I walked in and I sat down at Kings Hill Church and I wasn't the preacher, I wasn't the singer, I wasn't in charge of the thermostat, I didn't have a van key, I didn't have a door key, I didn't know the password codes, I didn't know anything. I sat down in that room and Jonathan said, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. I wasn't in charge of the series, the text, it was not my job to explain it. I just sat down and I listened and I took it in. I want to tell you what that Sunday was. Peaceful. <laughs> Peaceful. When I do when I when I when I'm in a wedding and I'm sitting in the crowd, peaceful. Why is that? Because I'm not in charge. And and it's it is a it's a, a, a testimony to my heart it is a it is a call to our heart to say that in our life one of the reasons that so much peace can be missing in our life is because we go through our days feeling like thinking that somebody has put us in charge and and where we need to start our day is not with what all do I have to do and accomplish today we start our day by saying King Jesus here I am Reporting for service. You're in charge. You're in charge. And I want to tell you, there's peace there. Second thing is humility. In the midst of this teaching here of, of Jesus being transfigured, the disciples, you find them arguing over who's the greatest. You have the 
mother of the disciples coming to Jesus, wanting to know if her sons can sit on his right and his left in the kingdom. And the call for Jesus in his sovereignty is him saying in chapter 20, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he shows us Philippians chapter 2 in this verse where he, even as king, would humble himself. He sets an example, sets a model for us. And, and one of the great things that happens when we apply the sovereignty of Christ to our life, it takes us off the throne. It keeps us from feeling so important. And it puts us in a position where God's on the throne, Jesus is on the throne, he's king and we're not. We can build up our little kingdom in our world, be it in the workplace or in our home life, in our mind, and begin to think that we're all this. And it's a good opportunity for us to visit the sovereignty of God, to put ourselves in our, in, our, in our place. He's king, and we're not. And this lesson was brought home to me several years ago, and I was traveling some, and we had young children, and I'd been on some mission trips, I had been to school, and I, and I, was, I, I, was, I felt like I was working hard, and Carla was here with five kids, and I was gone off doing this thing, and I remember coming home on a plane, getting in the transportation, headed toward the house, thinking I'm going to be so, hey, I'm about to be home, daddy's about to be home, honey's about to be home, here comes daddy, dad's coming home, and when I open the door, they're all going to be like, the king is home yeah and I remember walking into that door and almost before I could open the door the door comes open I have this in my mind this picture of Carla saying with a baby and sticking diaper needs changed the toilet's clogged the car's making a funny noise and there's a piece of mail that's got a lot of red ink on the front of it that says overdue take care of it I remember thinking you know what coming home is not about me I'm not the king. When we, when we walk through life, one of the things that can happen in our life is that we begin to put ourselves on a pedestal. We'll find ourselves angry with God because the sovereign God did not make his plans according to ours. When we apply sovereignty to our life, produces humility and last not last next to last when we apply sovereignty to our life it produces understanding maybe not at that moment but in time put in your notes John 13 7 go back and read that sometime and you'll see that Jesus said these things knowing they didn't understand then, but one day they would. And the sovereignty of King Jesus gives us the hope that one day we will understand. We grew up in a time of our life where we had 6 o'clock news and 10 o'clock news. And it, the culture of my childhood was that the weatherman on that local news station was basically a member of the family. I mean, I remember the day H.D. Bagley died. He was the Huntsville weatherman. It was just a big event. We just knew the weatherman. 
Gary Dobbs is a longtime weatherman coming out of Huntsville into our house every day, 6 o'clock, 10 p.m. Central Time. Gary Dobbs' famous quote that became a part of the fabric of our family and weather was this. Gary said it would be like this. And any time it rained, we said, Gary said it'd be like this. Any time it'd go over 100, Gary said it'd be like this. Tornado warnings, Gary said it'd be like this. Now, Gary got it wrong a lot too, all right? <laughs> what Jesus was doing in our life, even when we don't understand, is getting us ready for a day where we will understand and we'll be able to say, Jesus said it would be like this. He's sovereign. And the last thing is trust. Trust. When you apply sovereignty, it, it, it calls for us to trust him. The apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called how does he work all things together for good what's the last part of that verse according to his what purpose and in our life where we're trying to make sense of it all and we're trying to grab a hold of whatever's slipping away in life I want to bring to you this morning this attribute of King Jesus he is sovereign he takes all of his authority and all of his knowledge and he puts it together in his goodness. He rules and he reigns in our life. And for us today, if you would trust him, there is peace. There is peace. There will be understanding one day in the by and by. Let's pray together. Father, I bow before you and I want to thank you for this reminder this week that you are God and I'm not. King Jesus, we worship you as a sovereign king. And King Jesus, before these people, I want to just say aloud to you, King Jesus, that you're king. You rule, you reign. I trust you. I pray in this room that peace would be found. I pray, Father, that you would break some strongholds and bondage to worry and anxiety and distress and despair. And that you would flood hearts and minds and souls with peace and trust and humility and maybe Lord you'd open our eyes to understand some things today that we've never seen before thank you King Jesus for being who you are in our lives in your name we pray amen